But 2 Samuel chapter 5, I'm going to begin reading in verse 17. But when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines came up to seek David. And David heard of it, and he went down to the hold, or to the stronghold. The Philistines came and spread themselves in the, battle, in the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of the Lord. You know, it's important that you inquire of the Lord when you face an attack or when you face a difficulty. David inquired of the Lord, and he said to the Lord, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said unto David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. And David came, and David defeated them there. Now, verse 22, skip down. It says, Once again, the Philistines came up and spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim. And when David inquired of the Lord, see, he inquired a second time. This was a second attack. This was a second difficulty that he was facing. And he inquired of the Lord. And he said, Thou shalt, or he said, uh, David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord said to God, You shall not go up. But the, I'm reading King James here. It says, fetch a compass behind them. Uh, if you're reading your translation, it maybe would say, go up behind them. Come around behind the Philistines and come upon them over against the mulberry trees. And let it be when you hear a sound of a going in the tops of the mulberry trees. When you hear the wind blowing through the tops of the mulberry trees. When you hear the sound of a rushing going through the tops of the mulberry trees. Then you shall go up. The King James says, bestir thyself. You shall stir yourself up. You shall rise up. And then you shall go out. The Lord will go out before you and smite the host of the Philistines. And David did so as the Lord commanded. And he defeated the Philistines there. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word and your example. And God, today I am preaching on the sound of the wind. And Lord, I'm praying, God, that we would hear the sound of the wind this morning. And that you would create, blow that wind through this house. Blow that wind through our lives. Blow that wind through our bodies and through our families and our households, Lord. We need the sound of the wind this morning. And Lord, I pray, God, that the wind of God would help me preach this message and would help us receive this message in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Like I said, I'm going to be preaching this morning on the sound of the wind. The sound of the wind. In this text, King David is in a fierce war for the future of his nation. He's fighting for his life. He's fighting for his household. He's fighting for his children's future. He is fighting for the kingdom. He's fighting against an attack from an enemy who in many ways is stronger and more powerful than he is. David was a young king. He was just anointed as king of Israel in just that same chapter, the beginning of 2 Samuel chapter 5. It was a time of great transition in the nation of Israel. When the Philistines had heard that Saul, he was the first king of Israel, that he had died and that David was anointed king, the Philistines, the enemy, sought to take advantage of that season of change and transition in Israel. See, the enemy will always try to attack during seasons of change and transition. The enemy will try to take advantage of times of uncertainty and unrest. And if you let the enemy, the enemy can turn your season of transition into a season of weakness. 
Philistines heard that king, the king was dead and a new king had been coronated. And they knew that there would be this time of questioning and there would be this time of unrest in the nation. So they said, we'll go up against Israel. The king is dead. This new king hasn't solidified his reign as king yet. And maybe we can take advantage and take over. But King David, the new king, he heard the plans of the Philistines. He had discernment of the plans of the enemy. And the Bible says that when he heard that the enemy was coming to attack, where did David go? David ran to the stronghold. He ran to the fortress. He ran to a place of safety to inquire of the Lord. And I think that's a great illustration this morning of prayer and of the prayer closet. When we are under spiritual attack from our spiritual enemy, we don't immediately react First, we run to the stronghold. We run to the fortress. We run to the prayer closet. See, our stronghold, our fortress is the very presence of God. We go to the presence of God when attack comes. We run to the presence of God when the enemy rears his ugly head. When the enemy is messing with my children. When the enemy is messing with my church. When the enemy is messing with my community. I don't go running off at the mouth. I go to the prayer closet and I get on my face before God. And I say, God, I've got to inquire of you right now. I don't know how to come up against this attack from the enemy. We don't pout to our spouses when the enemy attacks. We run to the prayer closet and we take our needs and our concerns before the Lord. We don't complain to our friends when the enemy attacks. We run to the prayer closet. We run to the fortress, to the presence of God, and we inquire of the Lord. We take our problem. We take our attack. We take our circumstance and our situation to the Lord, to the prayer closet, to his presence, and then we shut up and listen. Notice that prayer is not just all about you talking about how bad things are. Prayer is listening. Prayer is listening for the voice of the Lord. So David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord told him the first time in 2 Samuel chapter 5, he said, you should go up. Thou shalt go up against the Philistines, and I will deliver them into your hand. And David saw victory in the first battle. But then in verse 22, the enemy had a chance to retreat and regroup. And the enemy came again against David and against the nation of Israel. And David, once again, when he heard that the enemy was making that second attack, David didn't just say, well, God told me last time what to do, and I'm going to do the same thing. No, David once again ran to the stronghold and inquired of the Lord. And when he went, against, went to the Lord and said, shall I go up and attack uh, to attack the Philistines. He's saying, God, give me wisdom and direction. This is a new attack. This is a different strategy. They're doing something different. Lord, would you direct my steps and would you guide my feet? Lord, I don't want to go if you don't send me and you don't go with me. Lord, I know that the victory depends on you being with me in the battle. He knew how to go to the Lord in his time of trouble and he knew how to listen to the voice of the Lord and how to respond. And what you will find when you make that kind of lifestyle your habit, where when difficulty comes, when, when, when challenges come, when there's a big decision to face, when the enemy is messing with you or your family, if you would make it a regular habit of running to the prayer closet and inquiring of the Lord and listening to the voice of the Lord, you would find that God is never without a plan. 
God always has a strategy. There is always a path to victory with the Lord. So David, all through his life, had done this. He had gone to the Lord and inquired of the Lord how to handle a situation, how to handle a difficulty. And almost every time David would go to the Lord and say, God, shall I go up and will you give me the victory? Almost every time God said, yes, go up and I'll go with you and I'll give you the victory. But this time, this second battle, this second attack in 2 Samuel chapter 5, God said, no, you shall not go up. You shall not go and fight this battle. Instead, look at it again. He doesn't say go up. He says, you shall not go, but you, he, you shall encompass around behind them and come upon them over against the mulberry trees, over against the forest. And so he's saying to them, don't go engage in traditional face-to-face -face battle, but you need to take your army around behind them and hide in the forest, hide in the trees, hide in the mulberry trees. And when you hear the sound of a going, when you hear the sound of a wind, some translations even say, when you hear the sound of marching through the treetops, that's when you'll know that you shall go out and then the Lord will go before you and you will see victory. When you hear the wind blow through the tops of the trees. That's going to be the secret code that tells you it's time to go out and wage an attack. Don't go when it feels right. Don't go when the strategy looks right. Don't go when the opportunity looks to be there. If you will go behind them and just listen for the wind. If you'll just listen for the wind as it blows through the tops of the trees, that's when you will know. That's when you'll know I'll give you the victory. It is the secret code for you and your army to know it's time to move and it's time to see a victory in battle. It will be the supernatural sign that angels are going before you. And and they're going to fight the battle for you. When you hear the wind, that's when it's time to go and see a victory. Now fast forward from 2 Samuel chapter 5 to Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament. The disciples were all in one room, in one accord in the upper room. And the Bible says when the day of Pentecost had fully come, when the day of Pentecost was arrived and they were sitting there in one accord, praying and fasting, it said, the Bible says, they heard the sound of a mighty rushing wind. When they heard the wind, that's when they knew it was time to go. That's when they knew game was on. When the wind came through, the, through that room, it wasn't through the tops of the trees anymore, but this time it was wind blowing through an upper room. And they were all in one accord, and they were seeking God. And they knew that life ahead of them would be difficult because the one they had followed had just been murdered. But this time, the wind blew not just near them or by them. The wind blew inside of them. The wind got on the end. Inside, and that wind blew through their spirit and filled them with the wind of the Holy Spirit. And it was the same wind we talked about a few weeks ago that was hovering over the waters before creation. It was the same wind. It was the same wind a few weeks ago we talked about where God breathed air into Adam's nostrils and gave Adam life. It was the same wind that the prophet Ezekiel spoke to in the Old Testament and he took a, an army of dead bones and brought them back to life. It was the the same wind that when God blew, he split the sea and the, the wind split the sea and the Israelites were able to walk through in freedom. It's the same wind all through the scripture. The wind is a symbol, is a sign of the activity of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All through the scripture, we talked a lot about the wind of God lately. And so on the day of Pentecost, when uh, the wind blew through the upper room, the disciples, they were filled with the 
Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in a secret language that the enemy couldn't understand. We talked a lot about this last week, that initial experience of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. It was a language of victory. It was a language of secret spiritual strategy. It was a language that the devil couldn't understand and that the devil couldn't decode. That's what we believe. When they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they spoke in a language they had never learned. It was a language God gave them, and it's a language the devil can't understand and can't decode. December 7th, 1941, famously known as a day that will live in infamy. The Japanese attacked the U.S. military base at Pearl Harbor. This attack utterly destroyed the U.S.'s military presence in the Pacific Rim at that time. And while that attack drew the U.S. into the war, that attack actually also gave the Japanese the upper hand in the Pacific theater of World War II. For months afterwards, it would seem like the Japanese were always one step ahead of the U.S. military. Somehow the Japanese were able to anticipate every move that the Americans would make. And what they came to realize was that there were workers in Japanese intelligence who had learned English. Some of them had even been to university and studied in America. And they were able to intercept and understand radio messages between uh, American military personnel. But in 1942, a man named Philip Johnston got an idea. Philip Johnston got the idea that the U.S. military needed a secret code that the enemy could not decrypt. He came up with the idea of using a language so unique and so rare that the enemy couldn't understand the radio messages they were intercepting. And Philip Johnson was actually the child of missionaries. He had grown up on the Navajo reservations in the western United States, and he was one of only about 30 non-Navajo people who could speak and understand the Navajo language. And so he got the idea and he recruited 29 Navajo men who knew the language and they trained them to become people given the task of sending and, and receiving strategic military messages in the U.S. campaign in the Pacific Rim. He gave them, he said, you're going to translate the, American, the, the English instructions into Navajo and then you're going to get on your walkie-talkie and there's going to be another Navajo man on the other end and he's going to hear the message and then he's going to translate it so that they can understand the strategy. And this was the first time something like this had been done. It was one of the key excuse me, key features of the U.S. strategy in the Pacific and one of the key reasons that the U.S. was able to see victory in the Pacific because these men were speaking a language that the, that the uh, enemy could not understand. It was, they were speaking a language so unique. I read this week that only 30 people outside of the tribe could, on the face of the planet understood this language and were able to receive it. And they, you know what they called these men? They called them wind talkers. They called them wind talkers. They spoke over the airwaves in a language the enemy couldn't understand. The U.S. military is on record as stating, and I quote, without the Navajo, the U.S. would never have won the battle of Iwo Jima. 
We would have never seen the tide turn in the Pacific Rim if it weren't for these wind talkers who were able to communicate in a language that the enemy could not understand. To this day, the Navajo Code used in World War II is the only military code to have never been decrypted by an enemy. Wind talkers. And it's a picture of what we believe about speaking in tongues or speaking in a heavenly language that the Holy Spirit gives us when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that many of us, we didn't grow up in churches uh, or, or around Christians who believed in that kind of thing. It wasn't something that we talked about. It wasn't something we were used to. And it is actually a great, in my opinion, a great tragedy of Christian history that this biblical gift has been removed and neglected by the church at large. If you started coming to this church and you've never heard it or you've never experienced it before, I just want you to know, if you hear someone speaking in a language you don't understand, they're not crazy and they're not weird. It is a biblical gift. It is a spiritual gift. It is something to be celebrated and not worried about and not fearful of. It's something if you've never experienced it and you're here this morning, I want to encourage you to begin seeking the Lord for a baptism in the Holy Spirit where you receive that secret code language where you can commune with the Lord in a language the enemy can't understand. Speaking in tongues, speaking in the language of the Spirit, it is a, a language Satan can't decode. It is a language that is a perfect form of your spirit communicating with God's Spirit. It is a language that gives sound and volume to the wind of God flowing through your life. It is a gift that gives you power to defeat the enemy. It is a gift that uh, the uh, language of the enemy that the enemy cannot stop and he cannot resist. Listen, church, we've got to be wind talkers. We've got to be people full of the Spirit of God who speak with the Spirit of God, who utter the words of the Spirit of God and see victory come from the wind of God blowing through our life. Amen? We must, as Spirit-filled and Spirit-empowered believers, refuse to give up the secret code. We must refuse to let the devil intimidate us into keeping our mouths closed. I get a little concerned when I'm in a church and it's a little too quiet. I believe, especially I get a little too concerned when I go to a church that says they believe in the Holy Spirit. They believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but there's no sound of the Holy Spirit. There is a sound that comes with the wind of God, and it is the sound that will lead us to victory if we follow that sound and we embrace that sound and we listen for that sound. Listen, you don't have to be quiet in this church. All right? You can you can shout. It's okay to shout. You can you can laugh. You can cry. You can wail. If you get a little too out of order, I will correct you. And it doesn't mean I'm going to I'm trying to offend you. I'm just saying, "Hey, we just want to make sure that you don't have too much of a private experience in a public setting." But listen, our church doesn't have a problem with that. We need to get a little more loose in here. Amen. We need to get a little more Pentecostal in the room. We need to let the sound begin to flow through the room. The wind begin to blow through the room. Amen. We've got to bring back the wind talking. We've got to get back to the sounds of Pentecost. Because the Bible told me in Proverbs 18.21 that the power of life and death lies in my tongue. That means that your voice has power. That means that your words have the ability to shift the atmosphere and to change your circumstance. That means you need to watch what you say and make sure that you're not speaking curses, but you're speaking blessings over your family, over your life, over your wife, over your 
husband, over your marriage, over your children. And when you don't know what to say, you just speak in the language of the Spirit and say, God, I can't fix this problem and I don't know what the issue is, but you know, Holy Spirit, and I believe the wind is the answer and I believe the wind will lead me to victory. Amen. We have settled for a powerless silence in the face of difficulty. But God is saying, listen for the sound of the wind blowing. Get ready for the wind to blow through your family. Get ready for the wind to blow through your church. Get ready for victory as the wind begins to blow. Now, let me take you through a few scriptures for a minute to just explain why this is a biblical belief that we have. We, we want to back everything up that we say with the Bible. Amen. This isn't just opinion. This isn't just an assembly of God thing or a Pentecostal thing. This is a Bible thing. Romans chapter 8. Go with me there really quick. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27. It says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. What's this all talking about? Listen, you and I, we are often limited in our prayer life. Sometimes we're limited by our own understanding. Sometimes we're limited by our own knowledge and our own vocabulary. There are times where things have been so uh, uh, concerning and difficult to me. There just wasn't words to describe what I was feeling. There just wasn't words that I had in my mind. I don't have a big enough vocabulary to explain what was going on in my life. And have you ever been facing a situation where uh, you don't know the right answer, you don't know what needs to happen, but you know something needs to happen? Where you don't know exactly the right steps to pray for, but you know you need to pray. But you're not sure what to pray for. That's what Romans 8 is talking about. When you're in those moments where I know God's got to move, and I know God's got to act, and I know God's got to do something, but I just don't know exactly what he needs to do. You know, we maybe need to correct our prayer life a little bit, and that's not what prayer should have been in the first place of telling God what he should be doing. The prayer should have been, God, would you tell me what I should be doing? Come on. And so when you pray and you don't ever know, you ever been in a circumstance, it's just so complicated. There's so many pieces to it that you're not even sure if I adjust this one thing, how is that going to affect this part? Or if I say this one thing to that family member, what's that going to make this other person feel like? And there's just so many uh, strings attached to this problem. And it's just a, a, a bird's nest of things tangled together and messed up. And you don't know even where to start with it. You don't know what to pray. There's nothing. There's not one single thing to pray for that would fix it. This verse says that in those moments when we we don't know what to pray. I'm not smart enough. I don't know enough words. I don't know the whole story. I don't have full understanding. The Holy Spirit who knows all, who sees all, and can do all, he will pray through me in a language I can't understand. But is God praying the perfect will of God into my life and into my circumstance? He always knows what to pray. He always has an answer. He always has a strategy. He always knows God's perfect will and he he always speaks words of healing, of victory, and power when you pray in the Holy Ghost. Amen? Go with me to Jude chapter 20, or verse 20, excuse me. The last, next to last book of the Bible, only one chapter. So verse 20 says, But you, beloved, build yourself up in your most holy faith, 
praying in the Holy Ghost, praying in the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you this. Have you ever felt weak in your faith? Have you ever felt tired in your faith? Have you ever struggled under attack from the enemy? Have you ever struggled with the sin issue? You're, you love God and you want to do right, but you just haven't been able to shake this thing that keeps holding you back. This verse says that when you pray in the language of the Spirit, when you pray in the Holy Spirit, it will give you the shot in the arm of faith that you need to get through. It builds up your spirit by praying in the Holy Spirit. You know those people that are always, uh, uh, they're always fishing for compliments? You know those people on Facebook, they share like a comment here and tell me one thing you like about me. You know, they're just looking for someone to give them a boost. They're just looking for someone to make them feel good. Those are people who are desperate to be built up. And listen, if you're a believer, you have something inside of you where you can build yourself up in a righteous, holy, humble way. And it's through praying in the Holy Spirit where your spirit man inside of you is strengthened and encouraged and infused with power. I don't have to go to anyone else to encourage me. I don't have to go to anyone else to build me up and make me feel good. God told David, when you hear the wind, bestir yourself. Means stir yourself up. Stir something up inside of you when you hear the wind, when you need to be built up, when you need to be strengthened, when you need to be encouraged, when you need to be uh, 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 pushed and you need to be uh, 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 encouraged, get along with God and pray in the Holy Spirit. Pray in tongues. It's the cure to a weak faith. It's the cure to discouragement. It's the cure to fear when you pray in that language of the Holy Spirit. Let's just look at a few more verses. Go with me now to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I want to pull this one up in the Bible here, and I just want to, in case I missed something. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I want to encourage you, if you have questions about the Holy Spirit, I want you to write this down. If you say, I don't know if I believe all this, preacher, well, write these chapters down. John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17. John chapter 14, 16, 15, 16, and 17. Acts chapters 1 through 28, the whole book, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. If you have questions about the Holy Spirit, don't come ask me, ask your Bible. Ask God to speak to you through his word. If you say, I don't know if I believe in this, I don't know if this is, if this is too much of an emphasis here, I just want to encourage you, go to your Bible and read. I'll help you understand it if you have questions, but I want to encourage you, go for yourself. Don't trust me, trust your Bible. Amen? 1 Corinthians chapter 14. This is King James here, verse 2. It says, For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no man understands him, but in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. Here's another translation. Uh, he who speaks in tongues speaks not to men, but to God. We don't understand him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. That word mystery means something above natural human insight or ability. You're speaking something above your own human limitations when you're speaking in the language of the Spirit. It's a secret code. It's a prayer that the enemy can't understand and can't comprehend. He can't stop it and he can't come against it. It is a perfect prayer between your innermost being and God's innermost being. It's not limited by your education. You ever have that? You say, I don't want to ever pray over the food or in public or at church because I don't feel like I have the words and I don't have a good enough vocabulary. Anyone ever feel that way? Like, a, you know, they're... 
you, you all know there's one person in your family that you ask to pray over the food, the spiritual person, right? There's that one person. And we don't do it because we don't feel like we have the right words to say. Guess what? No one always has the right words to say. And this Bible, this scripture says he will give you the words to say when you don't know what to say. Amen. It's not limited by your education, your vocabulary, your ability to speak eloquently or fluently. It takes the lid off of your prayer life. Amen. Look at verse uh, 18 of chapter 14 of uh, 1 Corinthians. Verse 18. This is Paul, the great apostle Paul. He wrote most of the New Testament. He says, I thank my God that I speak with tongues more than all of you. This is him saying, he's bragging on himself a little bit. I'm thankful that I speak in tongues more than any of you. I, this is an important part of Paul's prayer life. This is an important part. If, if the apostle Paul who saw Jesus on the road to Damascus and was spiritual enough to write two-thirds of the New Testament, if he needed to pray in tongues, guess what? You and I need this gift. We need this ability because I'm not where Paul was. I've never had that kind of knock yourself onto the ground experience where I saw the visible Jesus. and, and all. I've never had that. God's never called me to write a book of the Bible. I'm not on his level, but he needed it, so for sure I need it. Verse 18, he says, I thank my God I speak in tongues more than you all to build myself up for my spirit to commune with God's spirit. Now look at verse 19, the next verse. Yet in the church... I would rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. What's he saying there? He's saying if the preacher got up, if I got up for 30 minutes on a Sunday morning, all I did was speak in tongues. Guess what? The only one that got blessed that morning was me and y'all just think I'm crazy and I'm weird and you didn't get a thing out of it and you go home wondering what in the world was that all about? You didn't learn anything. You didn't have the scriptures taught to you that morning. I had a private experience in a public setting in that moment. And he's saying, so I pray in tongues more than you all. But when you're leading the service, he's saying, it would be, more, it'd be better for you to say something that the whole group could understand. Are y'all following me? This is biblical. This is the Bible. He's saying the teaching portion, it don't just speak in tongues for an hour. And that was a problem they were having in the Corinthian church. People were not doing what they should. Uh, so he's saying don't speak in tongues when you're in this. Don't just speak in tongues when you're in this room. He's saying on your way to church, you need to be praying in tongues so that when you get here, you're already fired up and ready to go. Don't make Pastor Katie and Joey and Kendall up here have to rev you up and get something going in you. You get it going before you get in the room so that when they strike the first note, it's on and it's time to go and we're ready to worship and we're feeling good about it. Build yourself up in the faith when you walk in the room. And for everybody else, when you get here, spend time with the Lord. And when you're in your seat and when you're praying and when you're worshiping, yes, pray in the spirit to yourself. And yes, have a, a communion with the Lord and have that experience because Paul said it's important and you need to have it. So he's not saying don't speak in tongues at all. He's saying when you're teaching or preaching, speak in a language everyone can understand. Understand. But when you're worshiping privately, when you're worshiping in your seat, when you're praying in your prayer closet, build yourself up. Jude verse 20 says, we don't act crazy with it necessarily, but we do use it. Look at the last couple of verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and I'm almost done. Verses 39 and 40. He says, he says, don't, for, or excuse me. Yeah, okay, I, I lost my place for it. Verse 39, 
do not forbid speaking in tongues. And then he added verse 40 for the crazy Pentecostals in the room. But let all things be done decently and in order. I met a lot of people, they really focus on verse 40, but they forget about verse 39. Listen, we believe in everything the Bible says that's for you and for me, we want it. We want it to flow and be used in our church. He says, don't forbid, don't forbid it, but make sure you're doing it decently and in order. We don't forbid God working through us and for us and speaking through us either. We believe in the sound of the wind and it's for you and for me and it's supposed to be spoken out of our mouths. We just have to release the wind of God in the room this morning. Amen? Pastor Katie, would you come? Before we go any further, I want to give just six practical things for you to think about when it comes to praying in the Spirit, your prayer language. If you're here this morning and you would say, I've never experienced this before. I've never spoken in tongues. I've never been baptized with the Holy Spirit. I don't regularly practice a, a praying in a prayer language. As you're, I want to just say this. As you begin to seek these deeper experiences with the Holy Spirit, listen, seek the giver, not the gift. Seek the giver, not the gift. Some people, I've, I've ministered with them and I've, I've prayed in altars with them and they're so locked into having one particular experience that they miss the whole point that it's just about being more in love with Jesus. It's just about growing in your faith with Jesus. It's just about growing stronger as a witness for Jesus. And so look, there's been people that I've ministered to and they don't necessarily receive the experience that they were expecting to in that five minutes at the altar or that 10 minutes at the altar or let's say you even took spent hours at a time seeking the Lord for this gift that we've been talking about and you haven't experienced it yet listen that was not wasted time time with Jesus is never wasted time and so even if you have been seeking and you haven't received one of these deeper type of experiences you didn't waste your time you just went further down on the journey to where you need to be. I, I hate it when I see people, uh, and we put so much pressure sometimes in Pentecostal churches for people to come up, and, and you've got to have it right then, and it's got to be right now, and then there's so much pressure to do something that when they don't get it or they don't feel like they receive it, they leave disappointed. I don't want that to be anyone in the room this morning because, listen, no matter how long you spend with Jesus, it's never wasted time. Seek the giver, not the gift. And as you seek the giver, as you grow closer to him, you'll just see the gifts were there the whole time. They were there for you, and it's just ready for you to receive by faith. That's number one, seek the giver, not the gift. As you're seeking, if you've been seeking the Holy Spirit, been seeking the baptism in the Holy Spirit, this is another one that's difficult for people. You have to use your voice. That I know there's so many people that have believed that, you know, I just have to wait until I go into some kind of trance and that the Holy Spirit is going to make my mouth move for me. That's not how it works. You will find that as you're seeking the Spirit, He will drop words into your spirit for you to speak. But you have to use your voice. One of the best things you can do is to learn to open your mouth and praise in English. Okay? One of the best, that's, and I will be honest with you, as your pastor, we struggle with that in this church. We struggle. I, I can get up here and say, hey, open your mouth and praise the Lord, worship and shout, and I get this. And I can say, hey, lift your hands and let's worship. Use your own words. I get this. Maybe sometimes we'll get this. Listen, 
whether you've experienced speaking in tongues or not, you as a Christian need to understand that your mouth has power. And the more you keep your mouth closed in worship and in prayer, the more you are hindering the ability of the Spirit to work through you. You have to learn to praise God vocally. You have to learn to use your voice to worship. I, I'm not saying you've got to be the wild and crazy one. We all had that person that we grew up in church with sister so-and-so that we, we brought a friend to church and we hoped she was gone that day. You know, I, I, I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about an authentic expression of worship and praise to the Lord. And as you get more comfortable doing that in your own language, you'll get more comfortable speaking the words that God gives you to speak to help you and to strengthen you. So that's number two, use your voice. Number three, if you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, maybe it was a long time ago at a camp or at an altar, I, and there, this is where we get mixed up again. We think that was a one-time thing, and I've got to wait till I'm in another emotional service, and I've got to wait till I'm in another hopping Pentecostal service, and that's when it's going to happen again. No. You can pray in the Spirit. You can use your prayer language at any time. If He has released that in you, it is your gift. He doesn't take His gifts back. The Bible says that the gifts of God are irrevocable. Once He's given it to you, it is yours. And you need to learn to use it daily, on a daily basis. Don't let it be just when you're up here at the altar on Sunday morning. Don't let it be just when there's good music playing. When you're in your car, you begin to pray in the Spirit. When you're facing a difficulty, you begin to pray in the Spirit. When you just want to talk to the Lord, but you don't really know what to talk about, you just want to spend time with Him, you open your mouth and pray in the Spirit. Make it a regular part of your prayer life. Number four goes along with it. Pray in your prayer language at least five minutes every day. Make that your habit. When you wake up in the morning, you say, you know what? I'm in my prayer time. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to spend time with the Lord, and I'm going to do what Jude, Jude chapter 1 verse 20 says. I'm going to build myself up in my faith by praying in the Holy Spirit for five minutes. I need that energy. I need that power. I need that Holy Spirit infusion in my life every day. Number five, make it a part of your worship. Pray in the Spirit when you're in here worshiping. We're going to talk in a couple of weeks about the difference between you praying in the Spirit and a message in tongues. We're not talking about that this morning. I'm talking about just your prayer language, that when you're worshiping, make that a part of your regular worship, not just on Sundays, but every day. And number six, if you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, if you speak in tongues, I want you to open yourself up to be used in more than just that one gift. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul instructs the church, he says, earnestly desire the greater gifts, that there is more, that see, tongues is just the entry level into the supernatural. It's just, we make a big deal out of that one. And people think, you know, I mean, that's what we're stereotyped as, is the tongues talkers. You know what I would love to be stereotyped as? I'd love to be people with wisdom, with words of knowledge, with healing, with miracles. I'd, I'd love to just be more than just the tongue talkers. I'd love to be the ones where, hey, if you're sick, you need to go down to that church down there because when they pray for the sick, things happen and people get healed. If you're, if you're facing a situation and difficulty, there's some prophets in that church over there that they hear from God and they'll speak words of wisdom and knowledge into your life and give you direction. If you're lost and you need help, there's people who have the gift of encouragement and they flow in the Holy Spirit and you'll leave feeling good because those people loved on you so much. So earnestly desire the greater gifts. Amen.
I want you to stand with me. We want to, I want to just, we, if you want to come to the front and worship or, or that's fine, but I want you to do this. Remember, I just told you a lot of times in church, I'll say, lift your hands and open your mouth and I get this. Let's not have that today, okay? Just for the next two minutes, would you just begin to let the sound of the wind of God blow through this room? You've got to open your mouth and release your words. And as a matter of fact, before we sing anything, I just want to maybe dial that down. I just want, let, I don't want to whip anything up. I want it to be the Holy Spirit sovereignly speaking through us. Would you lift your hands with me? Would you, if you've got a prayer language, you re, would you release that right now in Jesus' name? Would you pray in the Holy Ghost in this room? If you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, now is your moment. I want you to open your mouth and begin to speak the words the Holy Spirit gives you to speak. Come on, church. Let's be Pentecostal for a moment. Let's be people of the sound of the Spirit. Let's let the sound of the wind flow through this room. Open your mouth up and begin to pray in that language the Holy Spirit gives you. If you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit before, today's the day. You say, Jesus, baptize me in the Holy Spirit. And you begin to speak the words he gives you to speak in Jesus' name. Lord, we're ready for the sound of the wind in this house. Lord, would the wind of the Holy Spirit blow in this house? Have your way, Holy Spirit. Lord, would the gifts of the Spirit flow in this house? Lord, we worship you, God. We need you, Lord. We need your, We need the wind of God to blow through this house, Lord, to give us the victory that we need in Jesus' name. Lord, just like David, when he heard the wind, that was where victory came. Lord, we need the wind of God to begin to flow through our mouths, flow through our lives, Lord. We want the power of the Holy Spirit in this room in Jesus' name. If you need a special touch from the Lord, just step out and